Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. We're actually introducing the, the, uh, the show here. Yeah. So today on the Stories We Don't Tell podcast, we are going to talk about finding your feelings, right? Yeah. Yeah, finding them. <laughs> it sounds like they ran away from us. They ran away. Which isn't exactly the case. In an old episode, I alluded to a piece that I wrote where I had a kind of written version and then diverted onto a story version. Mm. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, so we're going to start. How are we going to start, Brian? Tell us. We are going to start with me reading the original piece that I wrote for the November event of Stories in Hotel of 2014. I had written this story and I brought it to the first brunch and I maybe even brought it to the second brunch. I think you did, yeah. Yeah, I brought it to both workshops and it just, I liked the idea of it and I just like wasn't gelling. It was not an engaging piece. It was not gelling. Yeah, so now we're going to listen to it. Yeah, so take it, take it away, Brand. So feel engaged. Yeah, feel engaged. Could, <laughs> you really just did not sell this before no. you started telling it. Oh my God, uh, I know. So I'm really hoping the audience is going to be more engaged than you seem to think they will be. Yeah. Uh, so take it away, Brand. If I expected love. My great-grandfather, Bennis, lived to be 102 years old. His was the first 100th birthday party that I ever attended. When he came home from the Great War, he started working in the mines in Cobalt and retired at 65 with a pension. He wanted his kids to grow up to have lives that were as secure, long, and healthy as his own. His son, my papa, joined the Air Force during the Second World War. When papa came home safely from Europe, that secure and healthy life seemed possible. The government offered to pay for my papa's education and papa was thrilled. He wanted to be a lawyer, but that had been out of reach for a minor's son. When he came home to Cobalt and told his dad the news, my great-grandfather frowned. Are you ashamed of this life? he asked. What are you expecting to find out there? So my papa moved to Sudbury for the nickel mines, and he stayed for the lumber camps. That's where he met my nana. One summer, he fell in love with the boss's youngest daughter. We married and had children, and he always felt just a little bit out of place with his brothers-in-law. Mac was a dentist and Guy was an attorney and Bill was going to be a lumber baron. Papa just knew that if he'd gone to law school, he would really deserve this life. Then he would be the one paying for his son, my dad, to go to boarding school instead of accepting charity from his father-in-law. My dad hated boarding school. He was this big grizzly bear with a tenderness that he couldn't hide beneath his six-foot, four-inch frame and overgrown mutton chops. He was dyslexic, though it was undiagnosed at the time, and he struggled unsupported in an all-male institution that did not tolerate weakness. He passed grade 9 French when the teacher offered to give him a C if he promised never to take French again. He went to the national championships with Ridley's rowing team, and this got him into Western despite his grades. He spent two years there without any particular direction, and he was working in the lumber camps near Sudbury when Papa was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Dad dropped out of Western to stay in Sudbury with his family. When he went to the hospital to tell his dad the news, my papa frowned. 
What are you doing with your life? He asked. Why are you wasting the opportunities I've given you? So dad enrolled in pre-law at Laurentian to become the lawyer that Papa always wished he'd been. Dad was just 23 when his father died. He graduated and he traveled and he moved to Toronto to work as a parole officer while he studied for the LSATs. He found that he empathized with those young offenders much more than he expected. He remembered what it felt like to be young and frustrated and he wanted to work with these kids before they needed a parole officer. In his early 30s, Dad gave up Papa's dream and started a PhD at McMaster. That's where he met my mom. Somebody from their church set them up because they were both getting their PhDs in psychology. They got married and had a daughter, me, and quickly learned that a shared interest in psychology was not a strong enough foundation for a marriage. He built a practice working with kids with learning disabilities and attention deficit disorder. He welcomed every little shit into his office because he recognized himself in each of them. The summer after I graduated from high school, he fell down the stairs while sleepwalking and hit his head pretty hard. He started to forget things, to mix up his words. He stopped working because he couldn't keep his patients straight, and he stopped driving because he crashed the car into our neighbor's porch. Because they cut OAC out of the curriculum, and because my birthday is on December 29th, I was 16 when I applied to university. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, so I chose a small liberal arts college in Iowa where my other grandfather had gone so that I could become his legacy for a while. During my second year in university, my mom was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma, skin cancer. I got blackout drunk two, maybe three nights each week and went home over Thanksgiving to drive her to chemo and radiation therapy. After she went into remission, I got a summer internship with a NASA research program. I was working at the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, where the atom bomb was developed when my dad was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. I didn't want to turn back into Brianne who gets blackout drunk three nights a week, so I started looking for a therapist and I broke up with my terrible boyfriend and I applied to grad school. After I moved to Michigan, I tried to drive to Kitchener every month to see my dad. He quickly became aphasic, so his words were jumbled and he spoke with a stutter when he spoke at all. I would drive to Kitchener and take him mini-golfing, and then I would drive back to Ann Arbor and stay up all night trying to catch up on the work that I'd missed. And then I would drive to Kitchener and take him on our own architectural walking tour of Stratford while the swans were still out. And then I would drive back to Ann Arbor and get so drunk on Halloween that my boyfriend stayed up most of the night to monitor my breathing because he was so worried about me. And then we drove to Kitchener together and took Dad to the last game of the Kitchener Rangers' best season. I called him every week with these little prepared monologues about my program and my life. He always asked, or tried to ask, how my mom was doing, because he couldn't seem to remember that she'd kicked that cancer. But mostly he would listen and try to respond appropriately, and I would talk and try to distract him from his frustration with his aphasia. On the day before my midterm review, I called him and my monologue turned into a rant about architecture and studio culture and my professors. I had applied to architecture school because I loved how buildings made communities that made cities, and now sometimes I hated architecture school because it seemed like there was no room for humanity in design at all. When I told my dad that I didn't want to pursue licensure as an architect, I could hear him frowning as he struggled through the haze of aphasia. Do you like what you're doing with your life? he asked. Are you happy?
So we just start listening to you uh, and your. And what's interesting about this is I think in November the exact same thing happened to me. I think it might have been November at the same time, uh, in that you you came with that piece, uh, and it it fell flat. Um, <laughs> We're describing it like it was a horrible tragedy. Like nobody said that it was terrible or no, anything. No, no, of course not. Um, I just wasn't emoting the way that I had become accustomed to. And he just didn't feel like it was done. Yeah. There's a, there's a level of feeling. That yeah, you like, totally feel it when it's done. Yeah. Uh, and it was a sort of this piece, you're right, where it was like, it had a nice ending. Like, I think the ending line was lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just, it did feel like it was it was long. It felt longer than it was, which is just never a good sign for a story. Right, definitely. Uh, like, even if you finished reading that, the last thing you said after that was like, that felt forever, and it was seven minutes. Yeah. So it's it, it felt longer than it was. Mm-hmm. And so what's was was funny about this was I think we we got you to, what was the part of it that you really had, like, because what's interesting about this was the, the part that I remember from the story that you come up with was this moment of, of you going to your, 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 um, your doctor, mm-hmm. which isn't even in that story. Mm-hmm. No, so I think what I must have done is I was, Paul and I were just sitting around writing on like a rowdy Friday night. Woo. Um, I think I poured a beer on Paul's couch too that night, so... <laughs> That's, that's what we were up to. And I got to the part that was actually about me. Because first of all, one of the challenges is that most of this story isn't about me at all or anybody that I could even speak on behalf of accurately. Yeah. And so I get to the part that's about me and I was just trying to sort it out and I didn't want to mess up the like structure that I'd set up. So I just opened a new document and I started writing about this one thing, which was about, I think, driving back and forth. Here's what happened. My mom had cancer and then I went to architecture school anyway and then... I'm driving back and forth and what did that feel like or how can I talk about it? And it just came out, which is a good sign. I actually remember what it was. Yeah. I actually remember what happened and you're wrong. <laughs> um, what happened was you had written all of that. Yep. And then you were right. You had a second document. You brought it to, a, uh, I think it was an LGP. I did bring it to LGP. Um, yeah. And it was, you're like, I also just want to read you this little piece I wrote. Yeah. And the little piece he wrote was about the doctor's appointment. The little piece oh, he wrote was, it? was the piece where you were like, that mm-hmm. was the first time I felt, uh, you know, felt like I was okay. And, he, and, and when he read that one minute, it mm-hmm. was just so, there was so much emotion that one minute. There was more emotion that one minute than the eight minutes you had just spent reading the last story. Yeah. And and everyone was like, yeah, that's, that's the fucking part. Yeah. Just it's do so that. clear. <laughs> it's so clear that that's what you actually need to talk about. Yeah. Like do that for way longer. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember that now, now that when you mentioned that, I had this moment of input um, of like lightning strike. I was like, yes. Because yeah. I remember you reading Sitting that part. in that room. Yeah. Uh, cause that was, just, there was just so much of that. And then something that you just mentioned, uh, when we had the mics off is that I actually got another story out of this as well about when he took my dad to the, the end of season Rangers game in Kitchener at the auditorium. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that, is, uh, is that the, the story parts that you really wanted to keep, uh, that got lost were all of the background. Yeah. It's like, it's like throwaway <laughs> lines in this one. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. and, and it's, and it's interesting. That it's, so what we're, what we're now going to do is we're going to listen to the, the finished version, mm-hmm. uh, or the, or the th- second thing that you brought. Yeah. Which is the story that I read at when things end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your support about my evaluation of my last haircut. Okay. Uh, It's the summer after my second year of university, and I'm in Los Alamos for this 10-week program. It's a NASA-funded research program for undergrads, and I get an email from my stepmom that says, Brie, it's the middle of the summer, and I really thought you would have called us by now. Are we going to get to see you anytime soon? This is so typical. 
She's trying to manipulate me with her passive-aggressive bullshit. I recently read this self-help book that my sister gave me, and now I'm seeing passive aggression everywhere. <laughs> there were all these little moments in my childhood that I never let myself get mad about, and I was mad about them now. I read the book right after my mom went into remission, and I had a lot of feelings, and this gave me somewhere to put those feelings. So. I'll be spending about a week in Ontario when my program ends, so I make plans to stop in Kitchener to have lunch with my dad and my stepmom. I drop my friends off because I have a full car load uh, at Conestoga Mall. We're going to somebody else's cottage on Lake Huron. So I drop them off and I, I, at the mall, and my dad's only one exit away. So I go, and my grandma is visiting us. And so the four of us sit on the porch and we have lunch, and I tell them, all about Los Alamos and the weird history of this lab where the atom bomb was developed. And I tell them about whatever I'm expecting from the upcoming school year. And then my grandma stacks up our plates and she takes them into the kitchen and she doesn't come back. And then my stepmom gives my dad a meaningful look and he just shakes his head plaintively. So she turns to me. Well, we finally figured out what's going on. The summer after I graduated from high school, my dad fell down the stairs while he was sleepwalking. He must have hit his head pretty hard because he became really forgetful. He started to stutter. He would ask me the same questions over and over again. And he stopped working when he couldn't keep his clients straight and he stopped driving when he drove the car into our neighbor's porch. And they've been traveling around the province for two years, getting scans and seeing specialists and just trying to figure out what was going on so that they could do something about it. She tells me that it's early onset Alzheimer's disease, that they've known since the spring and that she didn't want to tell me over the phone because that's how she'd found out and it was terrible. He's just started taking this Alzheimer's medication that's supposed to slow things down, but they guess that he has five to seven years. I don't really know what I'm supposed to say, so I just sit there and nod. My grandma comes back outside and sits with us. My stepmom gets out a map of Ontario and helps me plot out my route to Lake Huron. My friend calls me from the mall and asks when I'm going to come back and get them. I get on the highway and I call home, and when my stepdad picks up, I just start to sob. Dad has Alzheimer's. I don't know what to do. I missed the turnoff for the mall, even though it was only one exit away. My friends get in the car and we start driving. I'm the only one who knows how to drive a stick, so I can't trade out for a minute just to pull myself together. The song Sexy Back has just come out, so my friends play it over and over again while they sing along. and. I'm so lost in my own thoughts that I skid the car onto the gravel shoulder and almost drive us right off the highway. I have three days in Hamilton before I go back to university. I sit down at the computer and I try to learn as much as I can about my dad's diagnosis and how I'm going to get through it. We all know what happens when a parent is diagnosed with cancer. When my mom was diagnosed the year before, I tried to go ho call home more often to go home more often. She started chemotherapy and radiation therapy and all of these other alternative therapies that I didn't really understand. 
She moved one of the mattresses from my bunk beds into her ensuite bathroom so that she could sleep there because she was throwing up so much. She took a lot of baths. She didn't lose her hair, but she might have. She didn't die, but she might have. Cancer is so, so sad, and we all know how sad it is. Over the past year, I'd gone to see a holiday movie in theaters with my friends, and I found myself watching The Family Stone, where Diane Keaton plays the mom who dies from cancer. And I walked into my living room where my roommate was watching a movie, and I sat down, and I found myself watching Stepmom, where Susan Sarandon plays the mom who dies from cancer. And there are so many stories that just teach us to love your mom with cancer and learn all of the lessons that your mom with cancer has to teach you and just show up and cherish your mom with cancer. And they show you how hard it is for her and how hard it is for you. And they show you that the only way to get through this is to hold on to hope. And they tell you that it might not feel like it right now, but you're going to be okay after this, no matter how things turn out. And we all know what happens when an old woman whose husband loves her very, very much is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. You can watch The Notebook or Away From Her to see how heartbreaking it is. You'll see these devoted, loving men who show up in the nursing home every single day, just longing for a single glimpse of recognition and you'll see that it's okay that there's no hope when you have a lifetime of memories to console you. But I'm 19, and I don't have a lifetime of memories, and I don't have hope, and I don't have any stories to show me how on earth I'll be okay when this is all over. I start looking for them everywhere, and I can't find a single one. I make an appointment at the Alzheimer's Society of Hamilton, hoping that they'll have something for me in their library. They have resources for adults whose parents have been diagnosed. They have resources for spouses who are learning how to grieve while they take care of their disappearing partner. They have resources for children whose grandparent has just been diagnosed. But they don't have anything for teenagers whose father has been diagnosed because there aren't any teenagers whose father has Alzheimer's disease. They just don't have anything for me. And my last appointment before heading back to school is with my family doctor. After my physical, we talk a bit about my mom's recovery since she's my mom's doctor too. She looks up from her computer. It's been a tough year for you. I heard about your dad. Tears well up in my eyes as soon as her words register and then Tears well up in her eyes, too. My sister was just 14 when our mom was diagnosed. My dad will live for three more years, and this is the first and only time when I can see that I just might be okay when this is all over. I'm Brienne. You can follow me on Twitter at Venice B. I'm Paul. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Paul Doors. And I'm Stefan. You can follow me at Twitter on at, 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 stayho underscore. 
thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of the Stories That Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by cup holders. Cup holders, because sometimes hands aren't enough. <laughs>